0: This is the tale of two students. Student A has perfect attendance, always completes their work on time, studies hard for every test, and does very well on them. Their grades reflect their effort and their learning. And student B, who struggles to even wake up and come to school some days. Often, their homework is left incomplete and they perform poorly on tests. It is clear they are disengaged in class and their mind is elsewhere. You wonder what is going on. But no, they won't talk to you about it. How do you grade a student who appears to not care? This is a problem many teachers run into with traditional grading practices. The purpose of this podcast is to explain how you can make your grading as equitable for student B as it is for student A. I was student A. I was motivated to get all good grades and felt that I had to prove myself to my teachers and my parents. I worked hard and it paid off. However, Mr. Eddie Pletcher was student B. He graduated in 2019. Throughout his school career, he was a student who was on an IEP for a reading disability. He was given accommodations for his tests, but it still was not enough to keep his head above the water in the world of traditional grading. In my interview with Eddie, I asked, what was school like for you? He responded, I didn't want to go. And I asked why? He said, it took my day away, and I had better things to do. I asked, did any teachers make you feel like you shouldn't be there? And he responded, yes. I had one teacher call me stupid in my ninth grade English class because I was failing it. I ended up having to retake her class in 10th grade. I barely passed that time. I asked, did you have any great teachers, and what made them so great? He told me, yes, a couple. They told me to never give up and to keep pushing on. They also would turn the problems into sports questions so that I could understand them better. I just connected really well with them. He states, I needed school to be more engaging and hands-on, so I went to a technical school. I did so much better in this environment. I really only passed high school because I wanted to play sports so badly, which pushed me to keep my grades average. Many students, like Eddie, have fallen through the cracks, and it is our job to make sure that this doesn't keep happening. According to page 28... Of grading for Equity by Joe Feldman, traditional grading stifles risk-taking and trust between the teacher and student. It supports the commodity of grades, but it hides information, invites biases, and provides misleading information. And it demotivates and disempowers students. Also on page 30, it states, it sends the message that mistakes are unwanted, unhelpful, and punished. However, I think mistakes are necessary for learning to happen. First, I interviewed my sister-in-law, Claire Higgins. She has graduated from college twice and has two degrees. This experience is from her first college for nursing. She explains the grading policy of her nursing instructor. She states, My first degree is in nursing and the whole program had a 75 to pass rule. If you ended with a 75, you were kicked out of the program and the wait to get back in was one to two years. The 75 rule also held for tests. If you didn't get a 75, you got a zero. This was rough because most people would have would have still passed with a 72 on one test, but because they received zero credit, it often meant that you were done with the class altogether. We started with 134 people and graduated with only 42. In high school, she recalls a zero-tolerance policy for late assignments. She states, High school felt like it relied more on hard, concrete, right or wrong answers, and grades reflected if you can meet the standard. However, college felt more like they focused on growth, learning, and discovery. This school experience is how school should be. On page 64 of Feldman's book, it states, Though schools and teachers believe in Dweck's empowering concept of growth mindset, traditional grading practices often communicate a disempowering fixed mindset framework for learning. Add stress and uncertainty and can result in students engaging in compensating behaviors. Also, traditional grading practices frame grades as performance goals, which often result in students motivated to be successful only when the task is easy and to be motivated to avoid failure, more psychologically uncertain and stressful when the task is challenging. These grading practices that Claire mentioned were unfair to the students. Like previously said, traditional grading techniques like these ones used on Claire and her classmates, disengages, demotivates, and disempowers students. These high pressure classes do not allow for mistakes or growth, but rather only punishment. High stakes classes are stressful and very competitive. What these teachers should have done were given more feedback and allowed for retakes and redos to show their growth and learning. In an interview with high school Spanish teacher, Ms. Colleen Gase, I asked if offering feedback and allowing students to resubmit an assignment is a good way to grade. She expressed that while students do benefit immediately from feedback, resubmissions become costly in terms of time. She allows her students to turn in their work early to give them feedback, stating, I have learned to put hard stop dates on this to have sufficient time for feedback, but it does encourage the students to correct and understand their mistakes as there is immediate payoff. Ms. Gase is also a special education aide. I asked if grading motivated students to work harder. She says that in her experience, grading is a mixed bag. Generally, higher-end students are motivated to get better grades, like with student A. However, for student B, she says, a passing grade provides tangible goal to strive for the students on the lower end, but if a student has too deep a hole or fails too often, they can become convinced that passing or getting higher grades are outside of their reach. It's a balancing act, and many students require proof of their ability to actually earn positive grades. Like mentioned earlier, traditional grading hides information, invites biases, and provides misleading information. Miss Gase answered my question about the reliability of grading and she said, grades can be reliable within a class, but not across classes. Each teacher is assessing different things, different standards with different levels of objectivity. Even with solid communication between teachers, each brings a different point of view and slightly different values to bear on their grading decisions. This can be detrimental to some student Bs. For one teacher, they could see that student B just needs a little more help and they can reflect that in their grades. However, another teacher who has student B could not take this into consideration and fail the student for lack of participation. Where one teacher could bump up a grade using the grading hacks, another would likely not do this, resulting in two very different types of graders and grades. Feldman discusses the grading hacks on page 51. These are basically for teachers to correct the inaccuracy of grades. They give grades they think the student deserves, which ends up making the grades unreliable. For instance, dropping the lowest score, selectively averaging scores, creating extra credit assignments, assigning non-academic tasks, curving curving up scores, or bumping up for effort or growth. Miss Gase usually grades students with exceptionalities, learning disabilities, or ESL and ELL students a little differently. For students like student B, she says, I give them more time to complete an assignment or provide additional structure and feedback as they are working to meet the goals of the assignment. She also does not mark off for the things like conventions or sentence structure. These types of supports are important for these students because they are given the opportunity to grow and show what they have learned. If Eddie Pletcher was given more of these supports, he likely would have gotten better grades and had better memories of grading and school experiences than what he currently has. Grading practices should continue to facilitate the success of students who are doing well, but it should specifically support the students who are underserved and who underperform. Equitable grading has three pillars, which are accuracy, bias resistance, and motivation. For accuracy, we have to make sure our calculations are mathematically correct and sound. For bias resistance, we must give all students the opportunity to succeed regardless of who they are. Our grading practices should be unbiased in all aspects. And for motivation, grades motivate students to learn. We should support growth mindset, where students can take risks and make mistakes without having to worry about what it will do to their grade. This also requires us as teachers to give them meaningful feedback. Some grading practices that we can use are for accuracy, avoiding giving zeros because we can't accurately decide what a student knows about a subject. Also, we can use zero to four scales and minimum grading. For bias resistant, we can use the uh, grading only summative assessments and not formative and also not giving extra credit grades. And for motivation, we can rename our grades, we can give retakes and redos, Give rubrics, give feedback, and grade based on standard scales, not points. My future practice will be centered around giving positive feedback in order to ensure that all students are modeling growth, not just a select few. I will avoid giving zeros because there's literally no value to them, and I will allow my students to show their learning growth by giving them chances to retake and redo, and so should you. No matter how you grade, inclusion and growth are most important. Thank you.